This sermon is the final of our sermons in this series, Me, a Missionary, and we look at how has God wired each of us and how can we use those gifts to be the missionary, not that we want to be or not that we're envious of or we're prideful of, but we're the missionary that God has made each of us to be. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, June 14th, 2015. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we conclude our series today, Me, a Missionary. We're hoping by the end of today you can say that with an exclamation point. Unfortunately, when I have conversations with people, this is not how they would say it. Most people would say, like, me, a missionary? And so we're talking about um, being the missionary today, specifically, that God has made you to be. God has made each of us unique, and, and what does that look like? So just to kind of set the tone of where we were just last week, uh, we mentioned three doors on, that was inside your bulletin, and you wrote down three names of people that you felt like they are not uh, connected with church, they're not connected with God, and we said, how can we reach those people? And there was three things that we could meet three people with. There's three things. Christians always, it starts with an I, invest. We invest, invest in every relationship. We often invite, we invite people to things, and sometimes... Uh, because of their background or uh, challenges or they've had a bad experience or a professional guy like me did not do a great job, you have to bring kind of church to them. And we say sometimes you evangelize. You actually say, here is my faith and here's the witness I have in Christ. That again is not so easy. I heard a pastor talking the other day. He wanted to know how many people had suffered from OCD. And he said very specifically, obsessive comparison disorder. And I think there's something to it. So here would be signs that you might suffer from this. When people start rolling out stats, you start to kind of get either kind of jealous, envious, or proud. So um, a friend of mine, he graduated with a 1.7 GPA. See, I seen faces. Some are like, that's not bad. <laughs> D for degree. You know, that's all right. Um, you know, but some of you are like, oh. 1.7. What if I told you I got like a 1.7? So then, the, now we'll put, <laughs> that's not bad. See, I like you guys, you're easy to work with. Or people start rolling out stats, and I just met our missionary. I won't put him on the spot. He doesn't listen to my sermons that I know of. Um, but in midst of conversation, his wife mentioned that he got a 35 on the ACT. I did not get a 35 on the ACT. I'll let you guess if it was a 36 above or below. I'll just, those are the two options you have, right? So like these kind of feelings well up in you, you start talking sports stats. Some guy says, um, you know, he benches 300 pounds. Or someone says they ran a half marathon. You're like, oh, that's pretty good in an hour and 32 minutes. And you're like, that's really good. Or someone says, hey, I ran an Ironman. You don't need times for that. You're just like, wow, you just ran an Ironman. That's a, that's a long way to go, right? Have you struggled with some of these things? Or you find out, some, you know, she's 135 pounds full term. And you're like, oh, come on. You're right? Like, this is, has this happened to you? He makes $100,000 or she makes $100,000. Their house is 3,500 square feet or, you know, whatever these things are. There's this comparison. This gets really hard, though, when you, this starts to work into the realm of the church. And I'll give you an example where that happens. Um, there's a guy named Matt Chandler. Has anyone ever heard a sermon by Matt Chandler? I'm torn here because he's a really good preacher. He's down in Texas, Dallas area. Um, so then I'm afraid you'd be listening to him every week. But he also has this amazing conversion story. He went to high school. He had a locker mate next to him named Jeff. And Jeff said, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. When do you want this to happen? 
he became a Christian, and now he's like one of the larger churches in America, 12,000 people, I think, on a Sunday, and um, things are going great. That story depresses me a little bit. This is double secret. Not that I'm mad that Matt is a Christian. That's a positive thing, right? But it's hard to think that who has the boldness just to like go to your locker mate in high school and just say, hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. You just let me know when because it's going to happen. I mean, how many, can you imagine doing that at work? You're hanging out playing tennis with somebody and you're like, hey, uh, you want to serve first or me? And by the way, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus by the end of the set. You know, like, could you? Can you imagine that? So it depresses me a little bit. And maybe you've experienced that. You see that we're talking about being a missionary. And if you're an extrovert, you're like, yeah, this is what we should be doing. Like, why aren't more people handing out invite cards? Why aren't more people inviting their friends? Why aren't more people, like, witnessing and how easily they do that? Or maybe you're on the other side. And you think, how in the world do they invite their friends like that? Or you hear someone who just knows all the Bible passages and they just talk, and they, they have such an easy way to talk about Jesus. You're not the first person to kind of struggle with this, and we're not the first church that kind of struggles with these, um, I'll just say, obsessive comparison disorder. It happened 2,000 years ago, and I think this is the section we're going to want to look at. In the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul starts this church, all kinds of gifts, very talented people. And in the midst of that, though, people started to compare their own gifts that God had given them and the gifts that other people had and people felt a little bit envious and there's other people that felt a little bit proud. So this is the cure, the section we're going to look at today. It's a longer section. I just listened to a thing on how to do presentations and uh, it said the average PowerPoint slide has 40 words on it and their goal was you should try and go at least 10 slides without words on it. So I'm going to just go back here. Um, this is slides one through nine. And there's slide 10. Okay. So, so Paul writes to this group of Christians. So he starts the church. He's the greatest missionary of all time. And he um, comes in and he writes this letter to them. He says, Just as the body, though one has uh, many parts, but all of it has many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized in one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. This is not all that difficult, is it? Like when you go to the, the movie theater, you buy how many tickets for the movie? One. I mean, it feels like a lot, but it just you're buying one ticket, right? And then you have multiple parts, lever 2,000, where all scientific evidence comes from. It says we have 2,000 parts, so we have like one body, many parts. This is not super deep concept I think we're wrestling with. Okay, so he says, the same thing is true in the church of God. So as these people are struggling and, and wrestling with things, he says, there's something you have to keep in mind. There's all kinds of different people. And just as we talked about uh, the last couple of weeks, people are different that you're witnessing to. We said they got all kinds of backgrounds. They've got all kinds of history with church or no history with church. The people that are right here are all unique and all different. And the only cure the Apostle Paul says there is to try and solve this is look to his scriptures. He continues uh, as we go to the next step. So imagine um, how weird this is. And when I, I should have saved this for when we had the kids in here. How weird would it be, as I tried to explain, that actually that picture looked normal with all eyes on it. Did anyone else discover that? <laughs> I should have gone with ears. That would have thrown the kids off. 
You can imagine how weird it would be, though, if a person was just like one part. Like, imagine the person next to you, here's a, here's a drill, is just a giant eyeball. Like, how big would the vein parts be? Would they be like, like this big? That's like a garden hose of red going through the eyeball. What happens if the person next to you is a giant foot? How many of you are uncomfortable right now because you're picturing a giant foot next to you? Right, yeah. <laughs> right. So this, is, this is, does not make sense. Now imagine if Kale, as he's playing drums or something, was a giant belly button. Right? Would he be an innie or an outie? That's ridiculous. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Of course he's an outie. So you can imagine, and, and what we're talking about is that, uh, that people have different gifts. Now, I'm just gonna, this is kind of the role that I grew up. When I first got out in the ministry, I could not understand. I'm 26, 25. I was a mature 25, so it was practically 26. So the, but I was immature enough to think, why don't people think like I think, and why aren't people like me? Do you ever feel that way, like when you get your first job? And you're like, why aren't people wired just like I'm wired? Like, if you're an on-time person, you're like, why would anyone not be on time? You always do your stuff kind of person, you're like, why would anyone not always do their stuff just like this? Or you're a person that's a little more relaxed, and they're like, why can't they just relax? You ever feel that way? This is a struggle as you realize that um, there's four groups of people. So this is what changed my kind of life on this. You start taking these personality tests. My wife administers to them, me to regularly. So you take, you take these personality tests, and it, you could be the golden retriever, an eagle, or the beaver, or whatever these other parts are, but you start to realize that there's four or five or six types of people, and I'm only one of those types of people. So that means there's three quarters of the population that does not want to be like me. So it kind of changes this around a little bit, and you start to realize that your gifts are not necessarily the greatest gifts. It also, when I was getting out, I always thought that the things I like to do, everyone must like to do, and the things I dislike doing, everyone must dislike doing. Is that a true statement? It is not. So when you're a kid, you're conditioned. If you're one of the younger kids, um, one of the younger kids, like of all the grandkids, you get conditioned to have the lousy things. And then you can either embrace that or you can disdain that, right? You can get super angry that you have hand-me-down shorts, you know, like I had an older sister. No, I didn't get an older sister shorts, but, you know, I had an older brother that went to another brother that went to me. So by the time I got, like, my coats and things like that, they'd have worn out and things like that. The same thing happens with food, right? We've discussed this before. How many of you like black jelly beans and are the oldest in your family? See, that's really a surprise to me because I, I would think that's default. You get to the end and you're like, what's left? Black jelly beans. I can either embrace this situation or I can fight it. How many of you like lime popsicles? Is there anyone, and it's anyone who's the oldest in their family that likes lime or grape popsicles? Hawkins, you're just weird. Right, so, okay, so that, I would say that would be the default scenario. You, like, get down. Um, how, this one I'm sure no one will do. Does anyone like circus peanuts besides my wife? That's another default candy. I think that is worse than no candy is circus peanuts. The same thing is true. When they handed things out, like in the heavenly realm of the computer world, they had all these fun things you could do. You could do, like, gaming, and you could do, like, design. And then the circus peanuts of the, the computer world is the Excel spreadsheet. And I always thought, like, nobody must like this. And then I met someone at my other church. They love Excel. It's like their favorite thing. My friend Jody, she would write her letters, like Christmas letters, in Excel. This is a true statement. Like, she would write her Word. I, I'm even calling them a Word document. She would write her documents in Excel because she loved it. So the determination to me was, 
I don't have to slave and do the things that I can't stand doing because there might be someone who really enjoys it. And the same thing happens when you start identifying your gifts. Are you, has God given you the gift of a mouth so that's really easy for you to talk to people? Like gift of gab, you like, you're the person that talks to the waiter or the waitress, the checkout clerk. Your kids roll your eyes when someone comes up and starts talking. Maybe that fits into your category. Maybe God gave you like the gift of ears so that you like to listen. Is that anyone? My mom, that's her category. So when she, uh, when she went to school to be a teacher, she stayed at home with us when we were growing up. There's five of us, so she's at home a while. And then I can still picture even the chair, the landline with the long twisty cord that she would sit and talk to her friends. My dad came in one day. This is a real conversation. He said, Colleen, that's my mom's name. I'm not changing the names here on this story. So my dad says, Colleen, you listen so much, why don't you just get paid for it? She said, that's a pretty good idea. So in her 40s, she goes to get her master's degree to be a school counselor. So then she went and worked in the public school to be a counselor because God had given her gifts to listen to people and give good advice. Maybe God has given you uh, a generous hand. God has given you the ability to make money. And God has said, you know what? You have this ability to be generous with that. Maybe God gave you helping hands. You know people like that? Like something comes up, you say, I'm going to move. There's people you ask if you're going to move, and there's people you don't ask. Because you're pretty sure who would say yes and who would say no, right? If you need help in a project, there's people like that. There's people that if you had a problem, you talk to because there's people who listen and there's people who's not. There's pe- right? All these fit. And so this congregation is struggling in this. Is this difficult? I don't think so. On paper, this is super easy. And most of you or some of you are probably wondering, the last four minutes of the sermon was unnecessary. Then you have the gift of efficiency. And meanness. <laughs> so on paper, this all makes sense, but it's like when the devil starts to get his claws in this situation where it gets frustrating because you go into one of those two sides and you start saying like, okay, why, just think what the church could do if other people gave like I gave. Just think what the church could do. We could be outside of this facility. We could have a, but what if the, everybody here did that? 123 people we have. What if they all did that? Or what if everyone you know, just 123 people all we got together and said, I'm going to invite my friends to church. If just 10% of those people did that, we'd have like another 10 people here at church next week. Like, why aren't people doing that? Or maybe you slide on the other side. And you wonder, how can that person be bold enough to share their Facebook posts? How can that person like the church on Facebook? I'm a little nervous about that. How does that person talk about their faith? All this comes down to what the Apostle Paul is talking about. So he says this. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So this is a parable, again, probably a little bit more for the kids, the parable of the foot. You guys are ready. I was going to put a picture on the foot, and I actually got grossed out looking for pictures of feet on the internet, and I said, I got to stop. So the parable of the foot, as you can imagine, there's like these five toes that are all lined up. And they're having fun on the beach, and everything's going great. 
And then suddenly they say, hey, we'd be, things would be better if we kind of lined up in order. We'd be more efficient. So then the toes start lining up, and you got like the big toe, and then for some people, the next longer toe, you know, but then the, the next toe, and it got all the way down the pinky toe. Everything's going great. And the big toe starts to get this idea that, like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of big. I'm strong. I'm kind of a better toe. It goes all the way down the line, and then the, the little toe is kind of looking at all the other toes, and you know how the little toe feels, right? She's like, the big toe, man, he gets things done. He's going to the market. <laughs> Middle toe, the, you know, the, the big toe's got such a great job. She can stay at home. She doesn't have to go anywhere. You know, the middle toe, cooking roast beef. I mean, like, they, look at all this, right? And the second toe is so disciplined that it's on a fast. It's vegetarian. It won't even eat roast beef. It doesn't even eat it. And, and here's the little toe. How do you think the little toe feels? Yeah, picks up its little toe suitcase and goes wee 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 all the way home. It sounds like a kid's story, right? But it's not all that far from, I think, the feelings that we feel as Christians when you start looking at the gifts that other people have. It's not all that far from the feelings when you say, like, what can I do to have an influence? Do you feel important to the mission of this church? Do you feel like you matter? When I meet with people, this is probably one of the number one things that they struggle with. They say they get going to church, they understand Bible study, they're like, yeah, a personal witness to me is really hard. Do you feel like you're important? Do you matter to the church? Do you matter? Like, if you left, would it affect this church at all? God is imploring you through his word to say, it does not matter. Maybe there are a couple people that you feel like you get everything done. I would say you've got to be real careful with that. Maybe it feels like you're the only one who does something. You're the only one who pulls the trailer. You're the only ones who set things up. You're the only one who keeps things together. You ever feel like that? Maybe that's how you feel, and God says you've got to be real careful with that. Or maybe you're the one that says it would not matter if I didn't show up ever again. Charles Spurgeon. I think I have a picture of Charles Spurgeon. Do you recognize Charles Spurgeon? This is Teen Wolf when he's 50 years old. The, Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers of all time. I mean, this is like legendary. When you talk about greatest preachers on the whole history of the whole earth, Charles Spurgeon is on the one. He was in London, and he would pack the tabernacle there in London week in, week out for 38 years. And he got so good that preachers, like even in the U.S., would go and see him because they're like, what is happening? And the story goes like this. They say that Charles would take him to the basement, and they'd go all the way down to the, like, the depths of the, uh, the tabernacle in London, and he'd open up this door, and there'd be like 12 or so people with nameless faces that would be praying. And his words were, if I'll say exact quote, his words were this. If the engine room is out of action, then the whole mill will grind to a halt. His words are this. Without these people praying, who is more important? The preacher guy who's so famous or the people praying that his message reaches hearts, that it changes people that come and say they want to hear that message? Who's more important? Can you actually say? I don't know where you sit or what gifts God has given you, but let me just talk for a minute about introverts. Recently read a book called Quiet. Has anyone read this book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts? Introvert, you might be an introvert is when I send you a text message that says, hey, would you be willing to welcome people at church with me? You start to get nervous. You might be an introvert. 
Now, you might be introverted if, like, when someone new is walking towards you and you're trying to figure out, like, how you can get out of this conversation. You might be an introvert if we're talking about giving a church presentation or something, and you're like, ah, why don't you handle that? You might be an introvert if you did not want to read your passage out loud when we make you come up at front when you become a new member. Like, you might be an introvert if you fit in that category. The problem, I think, in the difficulty is as a culture, do you think we appreciate extroverts or introverts more? You watch classic movies like Any Given Sunday and Al Pacino comes up, right? And he gives the motivational hugs. That's how it goes down, right? That is not how it goes down. Don't look up that speech. But Al Pacino gives a speech about every inch, and it's this motivational speech. He's an extrovert who's willing to go and talk to people. The sales guys, you know, that's the one who makes the deals happen, and all these other people who are willing to talk and say things. Well, the power of the introvert says that there's one-third of the population that are introverts. And maybe God has made those people like that for a reason. And maybe God has made that person who has four close relationships instead of 40 other relationships. And maybe these are the people who can say, you know what, I can't do those extroverted things, but maybe I can just pray that God works through you. Maybe I can just build this one relationship or two relationships or three relationships. And when that person finally talks, I bet their friends listen. Who's more important, the preacher guy or the people praying in the background? Paul's point, and this is how we'll finish it up today. Paul's point and the point that God is making for you is that you matter. And I think to look any farther for proof, all you have to do is look at what Jesus is willing to do for you. Jesus says, I'm willing to come here and I'm not going to compare myself to you. Jesus doesn't get here and roll. He's perfect, and you never hear him say that to his disciples. He says, I'll take my perfection, and I'll put it on the line for you so that you can stand before God. And if someone would make a comparison, you don't have to shriek down because Jesus has taken all your sins away with a perfect life and a perfect death to say this is who you are. God has made you unique. God has made you special. God has made you so that the body of the parts all fit together, which brings us to our final point. Two takeaways in the body of Christ. Number one, know your part. I just heard someone else say, know your lane. Uh, Don't try and be what you're not. God has made you unique with special gifts and special abilities to do those things. Don't try and look at someone else and say, why can't I do that? God says, know your part and do your part. If God has given you the gift to make lots of money, make tons and be generous with it. It's God has given you the ability to make tons of friends. Make tons and use that to invite people to hear about Christ. It's God has given you a heart that just opens up for people who are hurting. Use that because not everybody has that gift. Not everyone is always willing to help. Not everyone always has that kind of energy. Not everyone has that kind of a body that says, I want to give you a hug. That Know your part and then play your part. Figure out how God has wired you. We're just working on this as we work on this new software. We're coming up with this survey. Has anyone taken like a gifts and talent survey? Even the name gives me the, the, the creeps a little bit. Not creeps, but uh, gives me the shakes because I'd fill out all these surveys when I was going to churches and it'd be like three pages long, four pages long, and I'd fill out all this thing. That is the last time I ever heard anything about it. What we're trying to do is figure out a way to help you figure out where you fit. So it has questions, and what does this mean, and what does this look like, and what are the things I like, so that we can take you and put you in places that where God has gifted you so you can really excel.
And some of you might actually like Excel, right? I mean, so it put you where you fit. So we say we're gifted and we're needed. The same thing is true as we try and reach people and, and become the missionary that God has called you to be. You can't all be the preacher guy. You can't all be the ones talking to every single person. You can't all be the ones who are boldly shooting and liking on Facebook and all those things. But you can be the person that God has called you to be. And working together, we form a body that is uh, way, way stronger than a thousand eyeballs and a thousand ears and a thousand hands. When it puts together, we actually get things done through the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we look at our own gifts, sometimes uh, we're envious of the gifts that other people have. We're frustrated. Uh, why don't we have uh, special abilities? We start to compare ourselves and we get this, uh, we feel envious. Sometimes we look at our gifts and we think this is what really makes things happen and this is what makes things tick. The cure for all of this is just to look at the many parts that you have created. Make us a missionary. We are missionaries, not because we're all ones who will knock on doors, but we're missionaries because you have made us unique. You've given us a part to play. Help us with joy to play out that part as we try and uh, leverage this for the mission of the gospel. Amen.